And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I already have my Bible open to Psalm 16, verse 8, just for you. It says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Oof, what a great verse. Well, we've got a great show. Let's get going. I'm so glad to have a chance to talk to Dr. Christopher Yuan. He is a speaker. He's an author. He's a Bible professor, but most of all, he's a man of God and an incredible ambassador for Christ. And I promise this is one of the most interesting stories you will ever hear. And I just, again, listened to part of Christopher's testimony uh, in the last couple of days, and I've decided I'm going to make it into a movie. I've already called Ron Howard. He's going to direct. It's going to be exciting. So that's what I have planned, and he has yet to hear anything about this yet. Christopher, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Bill. Well, that's a pretty tall order there. Ron Howard. Yeah, wow. I've already got him directing, maybe, so it's like, exciting. Like ha- Happy Days 2 or something? Or it's going to be something not, like that. Maybe not so Happy Days, <laughs> and Happy Days. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Tell me about this uh, new uh, book and this new award you just received. Yeah. Well, the book came out uh, November 2018, you know, toward the end. And uh, so and. For 2019, uh, Outreach Magazine, they named uh, um, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel uh, Book of the Year for Social Issues. So that was just a really big, uh, you know, kind of honor. And so they kind of announced that in 2020. But uh, yeah, it's just it, it, my hope was really just to be a, a really a, a helpful resource for the church to be able to to grasp and to understand and celebrate the beauty and gift of biblical sexuality. Yeah, and and more than that, Christopher, because I, I listen to your testimony and you speak with such powerful authority, I can tell God has just absolutely gotten into every molecule of your body and you love him and you want to share your hope with others. I mean, it's really, uh, your story is, is so amazing. I really, I really want to, Make sure everybody gets your book, and then make sure everyone goes in, on YouTube and watches your testimony. Well, uh, I mean, it's it's just the reality of a transformed life, you know. And and I, I guess sometimes when I tell my story, I mean, it is you know when I think about it and think back, it is quite sensational. But nothing is more sensational from a person who was blind and now sees, a person who is dead and now lives, a person who had no faith and now believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that in itself is is sensational enough. Yeah. You do an amazing job of talking about the depth of the past, but you focus more on the height of the after, which I really appreciate. And I know that's so encouraging. But I, I love your parents. Oh, my. Do I love your mom? So do I. Do I love your mom? Uh, amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I know because I want to give uh, my listeners a little bit of a chance of your testimony. You you did uh, grow up. Uh, you were a, a great student. You 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 had a you know a, a great uh, upbringing, right? Um, yeah, I did. I, I was I was quite blessed, and um, and, and since people can't see my face. Uh, I, I am Chinese, and so my parents, they were not Christian when they came to this country. They were both born in China, really young, and when the communists took over China, they, they, they were, their families were some of the lucky ones to be able to flee China and went to Taiwan. Um, my parents met in, in college and then both planned to come here. To the United States for graduate school to, you know, both pursue either master and, and my dad wanted to get his doctorate, 
And um, so they, my, my mom actually gave up her, her full ride scholarship for graduate school to get married. She rebelled and got married. <laughs> she, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and if you, if you're not Chinese, uh, you wouldn't under, understand that. But if you were Chinese, you would actually say, Oh yes, that is rebelling. <laughs> oh, wow. And, um, but so my, you know, I was born in the U S but I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. The first time I remember having having these attractions for the same sex was when I was nine years old when I came across pornography at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. But I kept my feelings hidden through high school, college, and the Marine Corps Reserves. You see, Bill, I'm, I was I was born in 1970, and back in the 70s. This was not something discussed at all. So I didn't tell anyone. Uh, I was scared and and uh, just kept them hidden. It wasn't until my early 20s that I finally came out of the closet. I'm from Chicago, and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry. And there I came out. After a year, I decided to go home and tell my parents. And I told them, and it devastated my mom and dad. My mom actually gave me an ultimatum. She said, you must either choose the family or this. Well, she couldn't even say the words. Well, I told her, this is, this is who I am. And, you know, if you can't accept me, I have no other choice but to leave. Went, left home, went back to Louisville. Amazingly, through that crisis, my mother came to faith and then my father. Mm-hmm. I went the total opposite direction. I spent most of my free time at the gay clubs. I actually even started doing drugs and selling drugs. And, you know, I, I always need to preface this part because I'm not at all saying all gay men are promiscuous or all gay men do drugs. Some do, some don't, but I'm just telling my story. Mm -hmm. But I also want to tell people that when anyone encounters the living Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus will impact every aspect of their life. So I began experimenting with drugs. I started selling drugs. I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor, because in my mind, I thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months before I was receiving my doctorate, the administration of the school expelled me. So my parents flew flew from Chicago to Louisville, and I was expecting them to fight to keep me in school, but my mom told the dean it's not important that Christopher becomes a dentist. What's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. Well, I was so angry at them. I moved further away from them to the bright lights and big city of Atlanta, Georgia, where there I kept doing what I knew how to do best, which was, you know, live it up, have fun, party, live in the world. And I began not just selling drugs, but actually become a supplier. And this whole time, my parents had no clue that I was doing drugs, but they knew my biggest problem was that I did not surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they prayed for that miracle. They came to visit me one time and I kicked them, kicked them out. And you know, the funny thing though, I wasn't, they weren't preaching at me. They weren't telling me I was living in sin. I, I knew what they believed, but just the fact that God had so radically transformed their lives that they radiated Christ, that was offensive to me. Mm-hmm. And I told him to leave. I know. And then your dad insisted that he leave you his Bible, his very first Bible with all his handwritten notes in it. And yeah, you said you didn't right. want it and just <laughs> take it with you. And your dad, being the stubborn man he is with two doctorates, decided <laughs> yes. to leave it on the kitchen table for you. And then the minute they left, you threw it in the garbage. I did. I, you know, I, I didn't want anything to do with their newfound, what I saw as stupid religion, crazy religion. Mm-hmm. I wanted nothing to do with the Bible. And we hear the narrative today that Christian parents, Bible-believing Christian parents, 
are unable to love gay, their gay children. And you have to actually get rid of the Bible, throw the Bible out the window, shut off that, you know, what they call the old, ancient, outdated teaching from the Bible to actually love their gay, your, their gay children. But I had the exact opposite experience. My parents were not Christian. They rejected me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until they became followers of Christ that they knew they could do nothing other than to love me as God loved them while they were weak, while they were still sinners, while they were even enemies. That's how they were loved by God, and they needed to love me as well. Well, at that, I mean, after that visit, my parents knew that I was just hopeless, but they committed not to focus on hopelessness. And they enlisted over a hundred prayer warriors to to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer. God, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She spent hours every morning in her prayer closet interceding for me and for many others. She Mm. knew that it was going to take nothing short of a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the Father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door. On my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs. They confiscated my money, my drugs, and I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. So I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I'd started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch. Wow. Christopher, you, uh, you're you kind of an entrepreneur. You, That was not a little business you had going, selling drugs. <laughs> you were in multiple you know, states, weren't you? I was. I was. And it's so funny how, you know, you don't ever have to go looking for sin. So true. You know, the enemy is just lurking. He is going to find us. And I mean, it's not even the sin out there. It's the sin in our hearts. It's sin in our minds. And, uh, you know, all these things, these wonderful things that I learned from my parents, a hard work ethic, uh, learning the business from working in the dental office, um, all, all, you know, uh, good things. Yeah. And Satan can use those things and twist them to use them not for good, but for his evil works in yeah. his kingdom. All right, Christopher, well, oh, let me just take a little break and give my audience sure. a chance to take a deep breath because they everyone's been holding their breath, I think, since you started talking. We'll be back in just a minute. Dr. Christopher Yuan is my guest in uh, his new book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Uh, we'll be right back. to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, that we want to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Well, most of us do. Bill says this week he's only accepting five-star reviews. 
Either way, you can take the official Afternoons with Bill Arnold listener survey. It just takes a couple of minutes and you get a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Find it online at myfaithradio.com slash survey. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Christopher Yuan as my guest. Uh, he is a phenomenal speaker and author and has written a book called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. And the story, as you are having it unfold, Christopher, is uh, gripping. So I think now you, uh, right before we went to break, you were uh, getting arrested by a number of federal agents and the Atlanta police and a couple of big gnarly dogs. And sounds like uh, young Christopher Yuan is going to prison. Yes. I found myself in jail. I mean, someplace that I never thought I would be. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I've get, I got that, that, the one phone call that you can make. So I tried call, calling all my friends, not one answered my phone call. So I thought, well, bottom of the list. And I tried calling home. Just devastating. I'm, I'm just imagining the earful that I'm going to get from my parents. Okay. Can I interrupt here just for a second? Now, yeah. just an answer for one of your mother's prayers is that didn't did she pray that that your friends would sort of desert you? <laughs> That's the funny thing, you know. I she and this is years ago. She knew that uh, you know I, that if as long as I had those type of friends around that would get me into trouble. You know, all those friends that say, you know, whenever you need something, just give me a call. They, right. they knew that as long as I had those type of friends around, I would find no need for God and no need for my parents. Mm-hmm. Remember how I was saying before, you know, she prayed a bold prayer. Well, she loves those bold prayers. And she prayed specifically years ago that God would do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to him. Mm-hmm. And on that day, when I called all my friends, not a single one answered my collect call. So I called home. I'm just thinking, man, I just don't want to make this phone call. My mother's first words were, are you okay? No condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love and Mm. grace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not God's anger, not God's wrath, but it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mother. (laughs) Actually, my mom was excited to get that phone call, if you can believe it or not, because I hadn't called home in years, and she knew without a doubt that this was God's answer to her prayers. Mm-hmm. So she hung up that phone, fighting back the tears. She knew she had to do just as that good old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one. No matter what storm she was going through, no matter what heartache she was enduring, she had to count her blessings. So she set the phone down, and next to the phone was a calculator. And she 
uh, tore off a little piece of the adding machine tape from the calculator, and she wrote down these first lessons. Christopher is in a safe place compared to before. Mm -hmm. And he called home for the very first time. As my years in prison passed, she kept adding to this list of blessings. And when I got out of prison, this list of blessings was longer and taller than she was. (laughs) This is why I love your mom. Yeah, a few days after that, I was walking around the cell block. And I'm just like, I've destroyed my life. And I passed by this garbage can. And as I look at this trash can, I'm thinking, that's my life. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My father, two doctorates. I was only three months away from receiving my own doctorate. I had it made. You had the good life going. I had a a, a great life, a successful life. Yeah. And now I found myself among common criminals, trash. Mm. And I was just about to pass by this garbage can. But something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. I brought it back to my cell, and I began reading. I actually read through the entire Gospel of Mark that night. (laughs) But Bill, let me tell you, I wasn't thinking, oh man, you know, this is the answer to my problems. Actually, I was simply thinking, I've got an enormous amount of time (laughs) on my hands, and a better pass is somehow. Uh But as you know, and many of your listeners know, what we have in our Bibles isn't just ink on paper. But what we have in our Bibles is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebellion, and it wasn't precise. And I thought things couldn't get any worse. I was wrong. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. I was handcuffed. My hands were actually chained my, around my waist. I shuffled into her office, and I knew something wasn't right. She was uncomfortably struggling with the words. She actually couldn't even give me eye contact. So she wrote something on a piece of paper and slowly slid it across the desk to me. I looked down on this piece of paper, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. A few days after, I was in my cell, thinking, just contemplating the total mess I've made in my life. I look up at the cold metal bunk above me. There was graffiti, profanity, gang symbols. But someone had scribbled something else in the corner, and it read, If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, the most hopeless point in my life 
the Lord God was using the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that if God could have a plan for Israel, a nation in rebellion, in exile even, he could even have a plan for me in my rebellion in prison. I had no clue. I mean, absolutely no clue where that plan was going to take me. But God just gave me simply one, enough faith to get through that one day and the next and the next. My transformation was gradual, and man, I wish I could just tell you that at that moment I said a sinner's prayer, and everything was just perfect after that. But that's far from the truth. God was convicting me of my dependencies, obviously drugs. But within a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. God kept bringing me to mind other idols, and there was one that I felt like I just could not let go of, which was my sexuality. I was reading through the Bible, and it was so clear to me that God loved me unconditionally. But I kept reading, and I came across some passages during the Old Testament, during the New, that seemed to condemn that core part of who I thought I was, my sexuality. So I went to a chaplain, and I asked him his opinion on this issue. And to my surprise, this chaplain told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality, and he even gave me a book, a book explaining that view. So with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And can I just tell you, Bill, from a human perspective, I had every reason in the world, every reason in the world – to accept what that book is claiming, to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me that those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't mm. even finish that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain, wow. which meant I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of Scripture looking for justification. I wanted to find any, any shred of evidence that might bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. I went through the whole Bible. I went cover to cover several times because I had time. <laughs> I looked through the, every – I went cover to cover, and I couldn't find anything. All right, Christopher, I'm going to ask you to hit pause just for a second because we're up against a hard break, but uh, we'll pick up exactly where you left off. Dr. Christopher Ewan is my guest, and uh, his book is uh, called Holy uh, Sexuality. We'll be right back. Back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Christopher Yuan as my guest. His book is Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationship Shaped by God's Grand Story. Uh, just won a big award. It came out a couple of years ago, but this is a powerful book, and he deals with 
a very uh, challenging subject because I think our whole society right now is uh, being reshaped by how we think about sexuality, and Christopher is addressing it head on. But first of all, I want to get back to we're uh, still in prison, and uh, you've just uh, pick up where you left off if you if you remember exactly where you were. Yeah, so I, you know, this chaplain gave me this book, and I'm looking through it, Bill. You know, everything inside of me. I mean, don't we want our cake and eat it too? Absolutely. We, we want to be able to have our God, but also we want to be able to have things that make us happy, make us, you know, so we hear this all the time. We're like, oh, I, you know, oh, as long as they're happy. No, God doesn't want us to be happy. He, want us, he wants us to be holy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was at this turning point, Bill. I was like, either uh, abandon God in his word and live as a gay man pursuing monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, and this is so important, by allowing my attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived, or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship. How? By freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires, whether sexual or romantic, to control who I am and live as a follower of Jesus Christ, my decisions, my decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. Mm. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality shouldn't be, actually doesn't have to be the core of who I am. You know, I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally, and that is so true. But don't we as sinners like to add to God's truth? I added, so therefore, he does not want me to change. Similar to people who say to us, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. Mm -hmm. But after reading the Bible, I learned that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Let me say it again. Unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. You see, my identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires. My identity is not gay, is not ex-gay, is not even heterosexual for that matter, because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy, for I am holy. You know, I thought in the past that if I were to become a Christian, that I would have to become heterosexual. And what did that mean? Well, that meant that the more sexually attracted I were to women and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would prove to be. But I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to flee temptation. and I still need to resist sin. And if you think about it, God never commands us, be heterosexual, for I'm heterosexual. But absolutely, he does not either say, be homosexual, for I am homosexual. Instead, the Lord God says, be holy, for I am holy. So I realize that actually, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. It's the right direction, but way too broad that includes sinful behavior. So the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. And the opposite of every sin, Bill, is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling or whether I'm tempted, but I need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity because change is not the absence of temptations. God never promises us that we won't be tempted, but change is the spirit-wrought ability to be holy 
even in the midst of temptations, because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling, not whether I'm tempted, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. And I began to live this life of surrender and obedience. God began to reveal his plan for my life, and he called me to full-time vocational ministry while I was in prison of all places. And I realized that if uh, and that he was calling me into ministry, and if I was going to continue in ministry after prison, I'd better learn more about the Bible than just prison religion. So uh, I called up collect my parents, and I told them, I think God's calling me to ministry. And I, I asked them to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of at that time called Moody Bible Institute. But then there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, was, I released from prison in July of 2001, and I started the very next month in August of 2001. So, Bill, imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? I graduated from Moody 2005, went on to my, get my master's in exegesis in 2007, and received my doctorate of ministry just down the road from you guys at Bethel Seminary in 2014. And then I had the incredible, immense honor of co-authoring a book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. It's one of the few books out there that's written by a parent and a redeemed prodigal especially on this issue of sexuality. She wrote chapter one. I wrote chapter two. She wrote, she wrote all the odd chapters, and I wrote the even chapters. So they're alternating narratives, interwoven chapters. And uh, actually, many Christian high schools – get this, Bill. This is so exciting. Many Christian high schools have been using this book as a textbook. Wow. <laughs> I never thought that. Yeah, that – you know, we just thought this is a memoir, you know, to edify the church. And mm. ch- I mean, these a lot of these Christian schools are using it. They're assigning homework, and we actually get letters back from students. A handful of students have, have even emailed us. You know, they say we were forced to go to this Christian school. Some of them even and even said that you know my dad put me in school in this Christian school because I was in this same sex relationship and I just hated the school and I hated this class that was making me read this stupid book. And they said they came to my chapter on holy sexuality and a light bulb turned on, and they said, "Wait, I don't have to like become straight. I need to become like Christ. I need to become holy, and I could do that." In Christ, I can. And so several of them have, you know, a young lady, a young man. One even actually is now about to graduate from Booty, about to go into ministry. I mean, it's just amazing. You know what? We just can never underestimate the power of the grace of God to transform a life. When you have conversations with young people and their their sexual identity is just, it's it's the biggest barking dog in their life for many. And they yes. say, well, how do I put the supremacy of Christ first? when this is everything I think about? Well, you know, I think what we need to realize is, um, and I think this is like step number one, for us to understand those who identify as gay and to be able to share Christ with them. Christians, we, we usually, you know, we understand if we, if we believe the Bible and we hold to a high view of Scripture and, and understand that the gospel is saying that everybody is a sinner, we understand that same-sex relationships are sinful. You know, Jesus very clearly articulates that in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, that marriage is between a man and a woman and sex reserved for marriage. And what we often focus on when we engage with our gay loved ones or friends is that the behavior is sin. I see that as like step two. 
What we first need to do, step one, is to recognize that their biggest mistake, their biggest hurdle is that they have made sexuality not an issue of behavior but an issue of identity. That is, it's Mm -hmm. an issue of personhood. So when we're talking about sexuality as a matter of behavior, which it is, they don't hear us saying that. Like we say, well, homosexuality is sin, and we're saying you know, what we mean is the behavior is sin, the desires are sinful, even the temptation is rooted in sin. But what they, they don't hear us saying that. What they understand or perceive is we're saying their person is sin. Their, their whole identity, their, their essence is depraved, and it is reprehensible to God. See, they're not able to differentiate the sin from the sinner. You know, that was one of the biggest things that my mom had to recognize first in her journey. She could not accept me because in her mind, I had rejected them. And so if I rejected them, that she could not separate what I was doing from the fact that from who I was. But as she read that little booklet, which shared just plainly the gospel, which she had never heard before, no one ever shared the gospel with her before, she read that, that, that book, booklet, booklet that she's a sinner. And yet, God still loves her. And she was like, wait, I can love my son in the same way. I, uh, what he's doing is not, uh, you know, against, is, is not God's will. And, and, and though she perceived that I had rebelled against her and rejected her, which the funny thing is, from my perspective, I, I was not the one being, you know, rejecting her. I, I saw it as she was rejecting me, which is, isn't that interesting how, you know, perception is, mm-hmm. is everything. And that's why we, we wanted to write it flip flop from the prodigal's perspective and the parent's perspective to kind of show how one, each side felt like they were wronged. But uh, once she was able to, to grasp that, then she was able to, to kind of understand why I was, uh, you know, doing what I was doing because it was, I was, it's, it's just like Jesus on the cross. You know, what did they, what did he say just before he passed away? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, isn't that just everything? You know, mm-hmm. we oftentimes as Christian, we get so furious and so angry at the unbeliever. When Jesus, he wept. Father, they know not what they do. And we're like, but wait, they do. They know they're sinning. Actually, in many situations, I mean, I would say in the majority of situations, they don't really know they're sinning. They don't know they're rebelling against God. They're blinded. And 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 I'm not then saying that it's okay what they're doing. I'm just saying what that should do is just break our hearts as it broke Jesus's heart because they were being deceived by the the prince of lies. They just thought they were actually doing good. And that's the funny thing, Bill. I thought I was doing good. So what, what I think what we need to do first is just to see that, understand that, uh, that, that, that those in the gay community, that what they see uh, about homosexuality is that this is not a behavior or it's not even their relationship or it's not even their desires that they experience. They see that solely as who they are. In my, so my new, newest book, that is actually where I begin. The first chapters of my book begin with identity. This is not who you are. And Bill, I don't know of any other sin we, where we've conflated it with sexuality. And, and actually, it's not just those in the world. Christians have, have kind of 
bought into that lie. Oh, this is who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, or even Christians, we even will identify and say, Oh, I'm a straight Christian. And I'm like, No, you're a Christian. Right. Since when do we ever identify by our desires? Like, why are we making our attractions a label? You know, um, as a Christian, um, I so appreciate the Word of God. You know why? Because words matter. God's word matter, words matter. So our words should matter as well. And, and that kind of gave me a love for language and words, and words matter. You know, when we put an adjective before our main identity in Christ, what that does, adjectives, the purpose of adjectives is to modify the noun. So in other words, if I say I'm you know, a male Christian like like that. That I'm I'm just limiting, and and it's true. I am a male, and that is actually a true. That is a true, essential, or what we call in theology, an ontological category. That's true. But I'm not going to make that like a an important, uh, uh, such a big part of my identity. I'm I'm a I'm a Christian. That's that's. I don't want first and foremost the people like to know I'm a male. You know, <laughs> and yes, I am. But e- and even I'll, I'll take for another example. I'm Chinese. And, you know, I can't escape that. If you see me, it's very obviously I'm Asian. But I don't want that to be like a a very significant or major part of my identity. All of that, every other major aspect, whether my being male or, or being Chinese, is a far second. And then sex, sexuality is even below that. Yeah. Sexuality is just a matter of my experience, my desires, my behavior. And so I, I don't want anything to come before my main identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christopher, let me take one last break. Dr. Christopher Yuan is my guest. His book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, will be right back. Welcome back to the show. What a fascinating hour I'm having with Dr. Christopher Yuan. He has written a book called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, and he is telling it like it is. And I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability, Christopher. I got a couple of questions, if I may, because I think these sure. pop up quite often with uh, Christians and believers and hosting a radio show. You do hear this from time to time. When somebody says, I'm a gay Christian, what is your response to that? Well, you know, I... I think one lesson that I always learn first is um, we have two ears and one mouth, so I always <laughs> want to listen twice as much as I speak. And being a speaker, that's really hard. And and I, you know, I, I speak a lot, but I, you know, in in situations, I, I want to learn and, and uh, I, I want to hear. I mean, I want to hear what a person is saying. And so when they say I'm a gay Christian, I say, tell me more. Tell me what you mean. I don't want to just jump to a conclusion. I want to hear what they mean. And um, uh, I, I also want to hear how does your faith in Christ impact your understanding of sexuality? And, and I'll tell them because, I, you know, uh, sometimes we let our understanding of sexuality then impact our, our faith. should be the other way around. Our faith should impact the way that we understand everything. So I want to hear that first. Now, if they say, well, you know, uh, God made me this way, and, 
you know, God, God is just love, you know, all this kind of theory stuff. But, you know, when they say God is love and they, in a sense, they're justifying, you know, so what's wrong with two men loving each other? What they don't realize is love does not equal sex. Love does not equal romance. And actually, uh, marriage does not have a monopoly on love. Uh, so when God says that he is love and, we're, and when even commands us to love him, love him, God, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the that's the greatest commandment. And the second commandment, nowhere in those two commandments does he imply that we need to have sex or we need to even get married. Neither of those, you know, we're not called to marry our neighbor. So people really under, just distort the understanding uh, of love. And of course, love occurs in marriage, but it's not the only form. But I, I think you know when they when they say that, I kind of already know where they are, and I remind myself that seventy percent of Americans say they're Christian. Still, mm, wouldn't it be amazing if seventy percent of Americans truly were born again believers in Jesus? Man, I mean that would. It would be amazing, but that's not true. Right. So I just need to remember that, that I I need to judge people by their fruit. And in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, John the Baptist and also Jesus talk about good fruit and bad fruit. And what they mean by good fruit, good fruit is the fruit of repentance. Bad fruit is the bad fruit of unrepentance. So when a person is bearing good fruit, he's repentant of the sin that's in his life. So when we see continuous unrepentant sin in one's life, that person is not bearing good fruit. And actually, Jesus and John the Baptist gave quite uh, uh, haunting and uh, sobering words to those, the trees that do not bear good fruit. Um, so I think we need to remind ourselves, you know, that if, if a person isn't bearing the good fruit of repentance, uh, they may not, the Holy Spirit may not be, uh, that person is not allowing the Holy Spirit to actually uh, transform their lives. So I'm going to treat them as unbelievers, which doesn't mean I'm going to shun them or curse them out, you know, of course, Christians, we don't do that, or hit them over the head with the Bible, I'm, gonna, I'm going to hope that the gospel will be able to permeate their lives. And that means I, I have to first live the gospel and, or before I preach the gospel, I need to live it and then hopefully have that chance to preach the gospel into their lives. But I need to live it first. And, um, you know, I, I think I don't want to engage first on the morality or the immorality of sexuality. And I'm not trying to avoid it, but mm -hmm. I know that even if I convince them of this, like even if they believe that, they're still lost because the law does not save. Right. It's Jesus who is Lord over the law. He's the one that saves. So I want to actually point and talk about who is Jesus. Was Jesus just a good person, which he was, but simply a good person? Or did he come solely to seek and save the lost? And how did he do that? He died on the cross. And why? I mean, if if, it's, if our goal is simply just to be a good person, then Jesus did not have to die on the cross. He died because we deserve death. And those who 
those who believe that same-sex relationships are okay, you'll, you'll notice that their understanding of the gospel is not the gospel that Jesus preached about the coming of the, of the kingdom of God. It's not the same gospel that Paul and the apostles preached. So I think it's more important than kind of talk about who is Jesus Christ, also talk about Scripture. Uh, what is, you know, is Scripture perfect without error or not? Because that's where it begins. If, 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 the, script, if the scriptures have errors, mm-hmm. then your understanding of Jesus and the gospel also changes. Right. So, but if someone says, well, no, I think, you know, I, I'm a gay Christian, uh, but I think God is, you know, uh, uh, con- you know, saying that I shouldn't be in a same-sex relationship. And I would tell them, do not identify as gay. That's not who you are. Because the more that you identify as gay, the more you, because gay, yes, it, it, it does mean that an individual has same-sex attractions, but it means much more than that. Those that kind of use that term and say, I'm a gay, celibate Christian, just uh, are ignoring the reality that words have uh, oftentimes have deeper meanings and have layers of meanings, and gay has an ontological connection to who we are. And, and we need to reject that as Christians mm-hmm. because that is not an important thing. So I tell people, don't identify as that. Um, and just identify first as a Christian who is, uh, by the grace of God, putting to death my sin nature every day. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. Yeah. Christopher, we just have about three minutes left. Would you be willing to share with listeners maybe the most effective way to engage people who come out and say, I'm same sex attracted and um, how yeah. we, we just show love and, and also show truth and all that? Yeah, I, you know, I I think it's it's really, you know, in 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 my book, um, you know, I've I kind of lay out, uh, you know, how we need to think right. I this is the way I usually tell people. I say my first book with my mom is for the heart. You know, it, it's just a story that that pulls you in and lays the foundation for uh, holy sexuality. I introduce that concept of holy sexuality near the end of the book. Oh, it was only like a six chapter book, so it's really um, concise. Uh, just a explanation of holy sexuality, and I was like, I need to explain that more. So years later, I wrote this book, Holy Sexuality, which is really a theology of sexuality, and I talk about that 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 this book is for it's for the head and for the hands, because we can't just you know try to do good without uh, or do right without first thinking right. Because if we try to do right without thinking right, we actually could be doing wrong. Mm-hmm. So I kind of lay this out, and then the last four chapters are these practical things. And so in one of those chapters, I do talk about, uh, you know, what 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 are some things that we can do uh, to, um, you know, if if a Christian friend confides with us, they're wrestling with their sexuality, and I tell people like number one, thank them. Don't freak out. Thank them. Thank you for sharing this really private matter. And I, I I can bet it was really, really hard. Thank you for trusting me. I mean, that, that means a lot. Uh, a second thing is tell them that they're not alone. Many Christians who have been wrestling with their sexuality alone for years think that like no one will ever understand them uh, and they have to go through life alone. And, and that's difficult. But, uh, you know, if, and if you just simply tell them, you know, I want to walk with you to Jesus, those could be life. Those words could be life for someone. Another important thing is what I've been touching on in, in the uh, you know the, the past this past hour is the importance of reminding this friend or loved one 
that their identity needs to be in Christ. I mean, Bill, we actually need to remind ourselves of this every Amen. single day. So many things in life that try to vie for identity, right. whether it's our job, our hobby, or even people in ministry, like, you know, I'm this, I'm that, you know, that, that's what I am. No, our identity is not in anything we do. It's not in anything we feel. It's not in our hobby. Our identity is in Jesus Christ alone. Man, mm-hmm. I mean, I could just... Uh, that we have to really bring that important message home to our youth, our young adults, people struggling with any slew of sin issues, that that's not who you are, but how you are. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of what we think that sexuality, that's, that's who I am. No, sexuality is not who we are, but how we are. And then, uh, you know, helping people just to realize that following Jesus, it's not going to be easy. but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I mean, who else holds the key to life but Jesus? Christopher, I am so glad God has reached down and touched you, and you are such a gifted communicator. It's just been a delight having you on. So thank you so much for all the time you've given me today. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Bill. Yeah. Dr. Christopher Yuan has been my guest, and his book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. That's all the show we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you for being such uh, great supporters of Faith Radio. It means the world to me. I hope you have a wonderful night. Time to ring the bell. See you next week.